You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Man, who's glad that they came to church today? Come on. It's feeling so good. Yeah, I remember when we just got down here on the front row, I was like, ooh, I haven't sat this close to you guys in a long time. This is feeling good. This is feeling great. It's so good to get back out. Who's pumped that it's summer, that it's finally summer? That's fine. All of you must have jobs that you just go to work. It's just like every day for you. That's cool. Uh, that's great. Well, summer just kicked off at our house, and so we're really fired up. The first week of the summer, the last few years, we've gone to a family camp, and I never thought I would go to a family camp before, but it turns out we do. And uh, it's really, really fun for my kids and for all of us, and it's really great. And we get to see all these families that I haven't seen in a, in a really long time. We didn't go last year because you remember COVID. And, um, and so this year, we were hanging out with these families that I hadn't seen in two years. And I find, do you find this, that when you get in the same space uh, with people that you haven't seen since before 2020 happened, that you kind of like talk about what it was like for you? Have you, is this, is this just me? But I'm kind of interested, like where were you in March? Like where were you when it all happened? And uh, what was it like? And, and I began to think about like if you were to have like taken a snapshot of my life from January of 2020 to June of 2020, it would have been like the ultimate meme of how it started, how it's going. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> of like, like, oh, is this the same life? <laughs> is this the same story? And a lot of us, who, was in, who were in Mercedes-Benz that, that day in, in 2020? Come on. For me, I was riding high off of 2019. You know, we had been on tour all fall. We had gone to college campuses all over America. Uh, we were calling people up and into what God was gonna do there in the Mercedes Benz, and it was amazing. You know, I mean, obviously, we've talked about it so much, but just ringing in the new year, praising the name of Jesus, it was so awesome. And it's funny, we were talking, Pastor Louis was talking about Pentecost last week. Who was here for that? Come on. Yeah. Uh, Maybe you were sitting there going like, I think I, I think I went to Pentecost because Carrie Job was singing and the wind was blowing and I'm sure, no, it's like, no, I'm sure that if Carrie Job was around for Pentecost, she would have been leading worship. That's what my vote would have been. I would have asked her to lead the blessing. It would have been amazing. But um, that's fine. It's a worship leader joke. We'll tell it at Lyft later this week. <laughs> but... But there was this, I just remember in those last few moments of Passion 2020, and if you remember, Charlie Hall prayed a prayer, and it was like pretty powerful prayer to think about all these people being sent out all over the world and, and to go back to their campuses, back to their families, back to their homes, their, uh, where they work, all carrying the message of Jesus. And there was so much momentum coming out of Passion 2020. So, I mean, just here we are, we're roaring into the 20s, this is it. And it would make sense that the band, the Passion Band with Pastor Louie and Crowder, we hit the road. And so for the next couple months in January and February, we just went on tour and we're in arenas telling people about Jesus and we're singing about the hope that we have in God. And it was amazing. And then that day in March happened and we were in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, I know everyone was trying to guess that, like, what are we gonna do? We're we just gonna cancel like one, one night, maybe two. Surely we'll play the weekend, you know? And no one had any idea. And then we got a text in the middle of that day that said, everybody get to the bus in an hour. 
and we're gonna go home, and just for the record, I think our keyboard player was a little late to the bus call that day, but uh, <laughs> love you, Jeff. Um, but, but we got on a bus, and we pulled home, and the wheels stopped, and the momentum was gone. And the next couple months, just like you in your life, everything was very confusing, and very hard to get your head around. And if you just looked at our life in the summer, you're going, wait, no, we were sent out by God. We were on, we had this incredible momentum coming out of Passion 2020. It was awesome. And now we're confused and we don't know what's going on and we don't know what God is doing. Is this even the same story? There's no forward motion. And if you were to Read the story of the early church here. You know, you know, the first week we talked about being a witness and God's gonna send his spirit. Last week we talked in Acts 2 that the, the Holy Spirit came and now it's the birth of the church and Jesus, the head of the church, now has the body, the hands and feet. We are the body, the, the body of Christ. And Peter preached and on that day it went from a small group to 3,000 people in the church. I mean, that's some like awesome church growth happening right there, and, and there's so much momentum. But if you just turn the pages, just a few chapters, just six chapters, and you read the beginning of chapter eight, you would be asking the same questions. You'd be saying, God, hold on. Is this even the same story? Where's the momentum? What are you doing? And this is, I just wanna read it to you. Just pick up right here. It says, in Saul, who is a Jewish leader, at the time, approved of their killing him. They're talking about Stephen, a young disciple of Jesus. And on that day Stephen died, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And in just six chapters, everything has changed. The momentum has shifted, and actually the momentum seems like it's stopped. That some force now has come up against the church. Acts two, there's a birth. Things are happening, things are moving. But now, just six chapters later, there is a force, and there is somebody who's been murdered, and there's a guy named Saul who's made it his life's mission to destroy this new movement called the church. And today, what we wanna look at, we wanna look, go through these six chapters really quick, so it's gonna be like flyover day, you know? But we wanna see what's gonna give the church the strength to overcome the resistance. What's gonna give you and I the strength to overcome any type of resistance that would come up against us and our faith and our message in Jesus. Because that is a real reality for you and for me, that there are things, there are, there are forces that are coming against the message of Jesus. So let's go back real quick. So to Acts three, you see this is, we're coming out of Pentecost, we're coming out of this amazing, you know, revival service where, uh, I should say gathering, sorry. Um, you know, the revival gathering uh, where Peter has preached 3,000 people, they put their faith in Jesus. And so every day, the disciples, the apostles, they're, they're going to the temple 
And they're doing that because they're Jewish. That's what you would do. And the temple is the center of life and culture, religion. It's, the, it's where the seat of power is. And so this is, in their minds, they're thinking, this is, Jesus is everything that the, the prophets have, have talked about. All the teaching of the old scriptures, it's all fulfilled in Jesus. That's what Jesus taught us. And now we're seeing it play out right before our eyes. And so every day they're going to the temple to tell people about Jesus. And that's what's happening in Acts 3. Peter and John, they go to the temple and they go to the gate called Beautiful. And at this gate, since the time he was born, there's been a lame man who is a beggar who's now 40 years old. So you know what that means? That means he's been there for a long time. And so everybody would have known about this guy. Everyone would have seen this guy if you came in and out of that gate. You would have always seen that guy. Everybody in the crowd would have known who this guy is. And on this day, the lame man asked Peter and John, and said, would you give me some money? And they look at him and they say, money is not what I have to give you, but be healed in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, that man is healed. And everybody freaks out about it, as you would. <laughs> you know, like, I, I mean, I would. Um, but everybody, because God does this amazing miracle, he does this sign, and what you see all throughout Acts is God does miracles and signs and wonders on the outside to point to the miracle and the sign of wonder of his redemptive power that he can do on the inside. And so just like what uh, Peter did at Pentecost, he gets up and explains what God is doing. And so he says, just like, look at this man, look at what God can do in the life of this man. He can do the same thing in you. So just like at Pentecost, he preaches the message that Jesus died, that he rose again, and because he did, if you call on the name of the Lord, if you give your life to him, if you put your faith in him, if you repent and trust in God, that you can be saved, that you can move from death to life. This is what our message is here at Passion City. Church, and so Peter explains what God is doing, and, and all these people are coming, and what the scripture says is that 5,000 more men put their faith in Jesus. So we don't even know, there's, so now we're up to 8,000 men, but there's more than that because there's women and children involved, and, and so this thing is growing, and so all the, the, the chief of the priest, the captain of the temple, uh, the Sadducees, all these leaders, they start going to where all the action is, and they're trying to check out what is happening and so look at this on Acts 4. Remember, we're gonna move quick through, through these chapters, but Acts 4, it says this. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. That was their huge problem. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. These are the same men who put Jesus on trial and sent him to the cross. And so they, they're, they're furious about what's happening, and they're trying to control the narrative. They're trying to control what is happening. But the problem is, is they can't argue with the lame man that's been healed. You can't argue with a transformed life. You can't look at a guy and say, that guy wasn't walking and now he's walking. So do you know what they come up against? Do you know where the resistance comes up against? They come up against the message. They come up against the theology. They say, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. You can't say that he rose from the dead. 
That is what we're trying to shut down. Because here's the deal, a lot of people, they're all, like, in our lives, they're, they're so fine with, like, yay, you got your life back in order, that's amazing, look at that amazing turnaround story, that's awesome. But as soon as you begin to name the power that's behind the miracle, that's when you feel resistance. That's what you feel, resistance. As soon as you name and you say, that, that I, I, my life is different, my marriage is different uh, because of what Jesus has done and he's my Lord and I'm following him. And as soon as you bring that into the conversation, you're going to hit a wall of resistance. The priests were trying to stop the message of resurrection. See, theology is a, is a, is a big deal. And for a lot of us here in the church, we're at a theological crossroads to say, are we actually gonna believe these words? Are we actually gonna trust that this is the word of God and that Jesus is who he says he is and that he is the only way to know God and that he died on a cross and he rose for our sins and we have to put our faith and trust in him. If, 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 that is, if, if people are gonna come up against that to say, well, surely you can know God by just being a good person. Surely you can know God by being born in a different place and being raised in a different thing. But if, if, if people do that in shy ways to say, well, that's the, this is our message. This is what we believe is true. This is what changes and transforms our life. And so there's different things, social, cultural, spiritual, political, there's all kinds of pressures that will come up against that message that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And I say this today, and we talk about this, this message as we, we talk through these chapters of scripture, is I, I live here in America with all of you here in this room, but there's people living here, uh, you know, all over the world today, and I've never been arrested like Peter and John were for my faith. I've never been in threatened for my life because of what I proclaim and what I believe. I've felt, I felt it socially, I felt it different, you know, different ways. But there's places in the world today, it, goes, it just needs to be said that you could be arrested because of what you believe in Jesus. That's a reality in the world. You could lose your life because what you profess, you believe in Jesus. And I'm grateful today to live in a nation where I can stand on a stage in front of you and to say that I love Jesus and I follow Jesus and he's alive and he's, he's changed my life. But there are forces in this world that are trying to shut down the spread of the name of Jesus. And, and that's what happens. So the Sanhedrin, they, they pull Peter and John out of prison after that night in jail, and they put them on trial just like they did Jesus. And they're trying to figure out what to do because the crowds are all with them because this man had been healed. And they can't argue with that. So they say, they send them out and they say, but you can't teach about Jesus and you can't proclaim the power of the resurrection. And I love what they said back, they say, they say, how could we not, <laughs> how could we not do that? And that makes sense if you know Peter and John. Because Peter and John, they spent three years walking the earth with Jesus. They saw him feed 5,000 people. They saw him walk on water. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They saw him go to a cross and die. And then they saw him come out of a tomb and then they hung out with him and ate with him. Like, <laughs> they're going out, like, I love telling great stories. Like, how could you not be like, I just ate breakfast with Jesus. Oh, yeah, the one who died but now is back. Like, I've hung out with him. Like, and then these are the guys that experienced the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of them for the first time ever since the fall of humanity. Like, and they're going like, how could we not? 
tell people about this. And so they go back to the church. This is in Acts 4, 23. And I believe that the way they responded to the resistance is what God wants us to hear about today. And I believe this is what God wants us to do when people come up against us in our life for what we say we believe about Jesus. It says this in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They prayed. That's it. <laughs> That's the message. They prayed. You're going, really? <laughs> we, came, we did all the things and just to pray? Yeah, they prayed. You see, prayer is our way of talking with God. It's our way of interacting with an almighty God. It's our way of communicating. Communication is so key. You felt it in this season, you know? Do you have the people that you work with that when you text them or email them, they're like, do you hate me? Like, <laughs> it's just like the way, the way that came across is like, that was a little biting, you know? <laughs> or, but then you get it, you get, you get in the room with them and you're like, oh no, we're totally on the same page. And yeah, this is awesome. And I love you so much. This is great. It's like the difference between like being in person. I mean, church, come on, <laughs> this, this is us right now. Or, or just like not really being in communication with one another. Prayer is how we communicate with God, how we stay connected to him. And, and prayer should always be our first response. It should always be our first response. And, and I, I think in some ways when, when resistance comes, we can respond a couple different, different ways. It could be to disengage and to say, you know, you, I mean, like real simple example would be like you're hanging out with a person that you work with and, and you're sharing about your life and then you kind of take that step and you say, hey, I wanna just tell you about why my life is. That, you know, they know that you go to church. They know that you're kind of, spiritual, you know, trying to figure that out, but then you bring Jesus into the equation and it changes the dynamic. Or maybe you brought them to church or you invited them to church and they're like, ugh, no. And then one way to respond to that resistance is just to pull back. Just say, ah, you know what, that's, that's kind of like not our thing. We're not, like, it kind of makes things weird between us, so I'm just not gonna engage. I'm not gonna share. I'm not gonna step into that space with them ever again. And I mean, I, we, we're like this way even to resistance with like, like working out, right? Like at the beginning of COVID, I bought resistance bands because like now's my time to shine. I've got all this space. <laughs> Obviously, I did not use them one time. I ate a lot of ice cream instead and I'm trying to figure that part out. But Resistance, some of us will just be like, ah, nope, too hard, not gonna do it, not gonna deal with it. Then there's others of us, when the resistance comes, it fires us up, and we just react. Okay, okay. <laughs> I didn't expect that, I appreciate it. <laughs> it fires us up, and for some of us in this room, the internet has been full, you just post about it, you don't pray about it. You just, 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 you go, I'm gonna send you an article, you know? <laughs> like, I found this article about this. Here's the thing, this, this is the, like, Peter and John didn't go back and be like, this is the worst San Sanhedrin ever, you know? Like, the worst temple leaders of all time. Um, that's not what they did. They prayed. Why did they do that? It's because when we pray, 
God changes our perspective and he clarifies our purpose. See, when you pray, God can begin to settle your anxiety about what you're up against. And he can give you the strength to keep going. So I'd be real careful to ever throw shade on prayer. To say, oh, thoughts and prayers, don't want them, don't need them, no. If you knew what happens in the spiritual realm when you prayed, you would never throw shade on prayer. You would never just brush it off. This is what A.W. Tozer says about prayer. He says, an invitation to prayer is therefore an invitation to omnipotence. It just means all the power. For prayer engages the omnipotent God and brings him into our human affairs. Nothing is impossible to the man who prays in faith, just as nothing is impossible with God. So if that's our invitation today, what do we pray like? How do we pray? What should we pray? How did these early church leaders pray? And this is what we wanna read today. This is what it says in verse 24. They say this, sovereign Lord, that's everything. They said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the power, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. So they're quoting the word of God. That's a great thing to pray, is the word of God. This is Psalm two that they're quoting. It says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they're saying, God, you are sovereign. You, you made the heavens and the earth and everything in them, which implies you own it all. You have all the authority. You have all the power. Oh, and by the way, years ago when David was writing Psalm 2, you wrote about this moment in time. That's how in control you are because you knew the moment that we would be, be standing in. So they asked the questions, why are people coming up against Jesus? Why are people coming up against us? right now. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Check this out. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. The power that's against me, that is coming up against me, that came up against Jesus, when Jesus was being sentenced to death, they thought they had all the power, but they did what your power and your will decided beforehand. That's how in control you are right now. Even the people who crucified Jesus are underneath your authority. All authority is underneath your authority, God. See, prayer changes 
our perspective. Because now this, this thing that's coming up against me, whatever powers are coming up against me, they don't seem so powerful anymore. And when your perspective changes, how you live begins to change. I was thinking about, like, speaking of summer, growing up here in Atlanta in the summer in the 90s, uh, a very cool thing to do in middle school would be go to Whitewater. Yeah. I know, it's kind of, <laughs> COVID, Whitewater, it's like, I don't know. Um, uh, but it was like a thing, because it's like, it's not your neighborhood pool, so it's cooler than that. You know, and you don't have a license, so you can't go anywhere. So your mom, my mom would just drop us off and be like, see you later. It was the 90s. It was, it was what people did. And so, but here's the thing. At Whitewater, you'd go, you'd wait in line. You know, the dragon's tail is awesome, sofa, and great. You know, doing all the things, right? But you had to wait in all the lines, do all the things, right? Unless your friend Tyler's dad ran Whitewater. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, and so when I went with Tyler, I, 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 I had the best time at Whitewater. We would, we would get in the front of the line. Uh, we could, we, you know, you're not supposed to do this, but you'd get, we'd pop off the back of the rafts and like water ski them down the water slides, and if everyone tried to get onto us, we'd be like, no, no, it's cool, it's Tyler's dad, he runs the place. <laughs> but if you have a different perspective, when you really know who's in charge, you will live different. And so what did they ask? Why, what did they ask of God, the sovereign Lord of all, to say, these people aren't the Lord, this power structure is not the Lord, this social dynamic is not the Lord, you alone are the sovereign Lord of it all. So what do you ask the Lord? They say, now Lord, consider their threats, because they're real. They arrested us, they're coming after us. They want to destroy us, but you know that. They're trying to shut down the message. So what do they ask of God? Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus they didn't ask for deliverance. They didn't ask for the, the, the trouble to be removed, though they are praying for healing and for God to do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. But they said, what they're coming up against is our message. So God, give us the boldness to speak the message of Jesus, to tell people that Jesus is alive, that resurrection is possible, that you can know God, that you can come alive from the dead. Don't let us cower back, don't let us disengage, but God, give us what we need to do the thing that you've put us here to do. Empower us, give us strength. And the scripture says that after they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken. Don't you wanna to go to a church like that? That when the, when the church gathers together to pray and to worship, that our lives are shaken up? I love that on Sundays. That's what's possible when we gather here every single week. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. God answered their prayer. And they spoke the word of God boldly. How do I know that? I just keep reading. Acts 5, Peter and John, they keep going back to the temple and they keep telling people about Jesus. They get arrested, an angel lets them out. Where do they go? Back to the temple to preach. 
then they get arrested again, and then they count themselves worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. In Acts 6, here's what's awesome. New leaders get raised up in the church, Stephen, Philip, other people, because this is a communal prayer. This isn't just like, oh, make Pastor Louie bold to proclaim the gospel. Make Grant or Brad or anybody who would stand up on a stage bold to proclaim the name of Jesus. They're saying, let us get bold. Let this be a bold church. Let God raise us up. And so God did that with a young guy named Stephen and where he was serving The Sadducees and the temple guards, they heard what he was preaching and they brought him in and they put him on trial. And in Acts 7, Stephen connects all the dots from Abraham to Moses to David. And he said, all of the patriarchs, they point to Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you've rejected him. And they had had enough. And they they were like, we're trying to shut this thing down. And so they, they take him to the edge of town and they stone him. And there was a leader named Saul that says, meanwhile, they laid their coats by a young man named Saul, who we pick up in Acts 8. And Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. But isn't that what God said was gonna happen back in Acts 1 when we were talking two weeks ago? That you would be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria? So has God lost control somehow? No, he hasn't. He's doing it. He's doing it. And it says this, check this out though. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Resistance is real and it's coming. If you love Jesus and are living for him, it's coming for you and it's coming against your message. But it doesn't mean that pain or loss or sadness won't be in the story because it's in this story. They mourn deeply for Stephen. Stephen lost his life. And so it's good to acknowledge today because I think some people come in, you have an idea of church that, that it's just all like rainbows and unicorns or something, and that we're all just like floating on clouds, like eating grapes or, and just passing, I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't think that at all, but, but you just think that everything is like runs smooth. But this is far from smooth. There's deep hurt, there's deep pain, and there's real loss. And for a lot of us in this room, we've experienced that over the course of this last year and a half. Resistance is coming but you have a message. You have a message of hope for the world. And what you see in the scripture is that resistance never stops the momentum of the message. In fact, when the resistance is really great, it typically propels the message really far. So if we're a praying church, like if that's who we are, not just we as like the, you know, the, the people who come up on stages, but if, if people, the people of the church pray when resistance comes, I believe God will make us a bold church. God will make us difference makers in the city of Atlanta and around the world. That if we pray and say, God, and acknowledge that you're the sovereign Lord of all, that he, and ask him for boldness, Give me the wisdom to share. Give me the moment to share. God, give me the opportunity. I'm looking for the opportunity to tell people about Jesus.
even when it's hard. In this last year, uh, my mom was diagnosed with um, um, neuroendocrine tumors in her small intestine and her liver. And, and this was late in the fall, and so we've been trying to figure out what the, what the treatment's gonna be. And she just went to Houston and had surgery, and it went really, it went well. And it's a road, it's gonna be a long road for us, so you can pray for my mom, for sure. But one of the things I love, this is my mom, this is my mom and dad, and it's always been this way there as long as I've known them, and uh, it's been a long time. But they, that's my sister. Um, <laughs> but, before my mom went to Houston for her surgery, she wanted to pray. And we certainly asked God to heal and to take the cancer away. Like all, we, we asked for those things. Like that's a real prayer request of mine. But here's what I love about my mom is she said, God, I just want you to get glory out of it. Like I want people to know you out of it. And so people in our church came around and prayed for my mom. And what that did for me, what that did for our family, what that did is it, it elevated our perspective is to say, cancer is not the Lord. This sickness is not, is not God. God is God. So, in these moments, give us the boldness, give us the words, give us the opportunity to let people know that even in the midst of cancer, resurrection is possible. Jesus is alive. The message can't be stopped. Here's what's awesome about what God is doing is you can't shut down an argument of a man who was healed, who wasn't walking and now he's walking. Then they tried to put people in a jail cell to try and shut down the message. The forces of darkness also tried to kill a person. But here's what's amazing is they can't shut down your words. Your words matter. What you say matters when you speak life out, when you share with people. So here's the thing, church, we need in our day, we need a bold church. We need a church that's not afraid to say, my life was a wreck, but God came in and he changed it and he transformed it and he saved me and it's possible. You just have to cry out to him. You just have to call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. You have to turn your life around. You can't be the center of your life because that leads nowhere. But if you make Jesus the center of your life, you get everything. Even when things fall apart around you, Jesus is your only hope. We need a church that carries that message. And the way we have the strength to do that is if we're people of prayer. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.